Amen. You may be seated. Harv, I'm going to ask you to do something out of the ordinary, buddy. Can you go back to the slide that said um, he shall return in robes of white? He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, team, for leading us in that. Thank you, choir, for leading us. You can go ahead and, and switch it off, Harv. That, that verse, wow. Can you, can you imagine? Can you picture in your mind that day? Man, if it doesn't excite you for what is to come, I don't know what will. Thank God for the promise that we have of eternity with Him for those of us in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned to you a few moments ago, we're in, we're in Nehemiah 6 today. And we've entitled this sermon today, Perseverance and Obedience. Perseverance and Obedience. And um, if, if you, by chance, did not get sermon notes, I do apologize. Um, the guys in the back may still have some, so um, if, you, if you do need some, you can lift your hand. I don't know if they do. There's some up front, guys, if y'all don't mind. Um, if there are any left, there may not be. Um, but here, here comes Mr. Bill, um, thumb up here. Um, but today we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'm excited to pick back up into this sermon series. Um, I, I'm really excited about it. This uh, passage of Scripture is very profound, uh, and as I was looking through it, um, the Lord was just ministering to me through this, and, and seeing Nehemiah's response continually to opposition. And, and I want us to picture this today, not just if we face opposition from people. See, when we profess, profess Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the enemy wants nothing of it. He wants our gaze to be not transfixed on Jesus. He wants our gaze to be transfixed on everything else besides Jesus. And as we're going to see, as we've seen the first five chapters of Nehemiah, Today we're going to see in chapter 6 that Nehemiah has continually kept his gaze transfixed on what God has called him to. And that was to rebuild the wall. We know from the very first chapter of Nehemiah that Nehemiah heard word of what has happened to Jerusalem. He's heard of what has happened to the walls, and so it immediately breaks his heart and he cries out and weeps to God. And he prays for many days. And then we know from chapter 2, he's the cupbearer to the king. He has a very important job. He protects the king from any kind of poison or attacks against him by being the cupbearer. And God has already started to work on the king's heart. And that the moment that the king sees Nehemiah, he can tell that something is off. And so he asks Nehemiah what is wrong. Nehemiah tells him. And at the, this is the same king that had nothing to do with Jerusalem. He didn't like Jerusalem. He didn't want to see anything happen good there. He then sends Nehemiah to go and do the work. And as we know from chapter 3, 4, and 5, Nehemiah ends the work. He continually is building on the wall, and as he's doing so, he's facing opposition. Today we're going to see where there are actual conspiracies happening against Nehemiah, 
where his enemies, those that don't want the work to be completed, are continually doing things to distract him, to try and pull him away. But Nehemiah continues to persevere and be obedient. So it makes me want to ask you a question. You know, I always like to ask you a question as we start to think. Have you ever faced a moment in your life when you're doing something that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you would stand on it and proclaim it that God has called you to it? He's called you to do a work, whatever it may be. It could be within a vocation. It could be just by being a follower of Christ to pursue ministering to somebody, to be a part of a ministry, whatever it may be. And you know that God has called you to it. And as you're doing that, you face opposition. Can everybody agree that they've had that happen in their life? The enemy does not like it when we have our gaze transfixed on Jesus and we want to do his work. He wants to do everything in his power to take our focus off of that. So as we're looking at this passage, I want you to stop and think, how can this apply to myself? And so with that said, let's go ahead and start by reading Nehemiah chapter 6. If you would, uh, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecathurim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalet, for the fifth time, sent me his servant, sent his servant to me, excuse me, and with an open letter in hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so, you, so now come and let us take counsel together. Verse 8. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inviting them out of your own mind. Inventing them, excuse me. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemamiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalet had hired him. For this purpose he was hired. And that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalet, O oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophet, the prophet, the prophetess, uh, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul, the, the, the 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son, Jehohanah, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. And may God add his blessings to reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for the powerful time of worship we've had. Lord, I thank you for the day that is coming. Lord, when you will return and we will rise among the saints with our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Father, until that day, while we are still here in this life, God, you've called us to a mission. And Lord, we are gathered here right now, Lord, proclaiming your word. Lord, I pray for the one proclaiming, and I pray, God, that you would speak boldly through me. Let me be your vessel, Father God. Let this be nothing of myself. Let it be all of you. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing this, in this room, online. Lord, I pray, God, that you would minister to their hearts now. Lord, let the distractions fade away. Let us hear solely from you here this morning. Lord, I pray the same for our brothers and sisters gathered right here in our community. Lord, I pray for the community of Park Circle, God, that you would use the church to minister, to bless, and to point everyone to Jesus. We pray that you are glorified here today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm thankful that God can use an imperfect man that will stumble over words as he's reading it. I love the Lord's sense of humor. Looking at this passage, there are many things that, that we can see, but there's an overarching theme that we see here. Nehemiah, in this passage, sets the example of perseverance through obedience against the attacks of the enemy. And for those of us in this room who proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord, we've been called by God on the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. We know that is the Great Commission. We know that God has called us to that overarching mission. Each of us has different vocations. I know that there's a, a variety of younger and older in this room. I know that some don't work anymore, but you have specific things in your life daily that God calls you to. Family members, friends, neighbors, community members. Those of us that are still working, we're called to those that we work with on a daily basis. We're called to those that we interact with in the grocery store, at the gas station, whatever it may be. God calls us all to specific things But for all of us in Christ, our overarching call is to be followers of Him, taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, and following Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Christ. So if we are obedient in that call, there are going to be times when we face opposition. There are going to be times when we face opposition because the enemy does not like it that our our gaze is transfixed on Jesus, as we say. And there are two big things that I think we can see from this passage today and how it can minister to our lives and apply as we go about on the mission daily. And the first is that if we are to be obedient to God, we are doing so when we, number one, persevere through opposition. Persevere through the opposition. 
Look again at verse 1 and 2. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecophirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. We know from earlier in Nehemiah, in chapter 2, verse 19 specifically, it says, But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They don't like what is happening. They don't like it that Nehemiah is doing this. They see it almost as danger to them. Now, you have to also understand that Sambalet at this time, he's the governor of Samaria. And so they see this as not a good thing that Nehemiah is doing. And so they're questioning it. They're trying to do everything in their power to take his focus off of fulfilling the call that God has put on his life at this moment to do this in Jerusalem. Verse 2 tells us that they want to go and meet together at Hikaphirim. Now, it's a plain in Ono. Scripture is telling us that there's a location close to the town of Ono where they're trying to have as a uh, quote-unquote um, meeting place in the middle, in between, to where they can make this happen. They can have this discussion. But as Nehemiah tells us in the second, or right there at the end of verse 2, he says, but they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah's not stupid. Nehemiah knows that God's called him to this, and Nehemiah is so in touch with what God wants for him and fulfilling that call that God has placed on his life in that moment that Nehemiah is not going to do anything to jeopardize what God has called him to. Nehemiah knows if God wants me to go and meet with them, God will make it clear to me that I'm going to go and meet with them. But God did not do that. We have nothing in there that says, and the Lord told me to go and do this. Nehemiah knows that if he goes and does this, there's a pretty good chance that he might not make it back. He makes it clear that they could potentially be doing me harm. They intend to do me harm. Verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, Nehemiah is more concerned with the task at hand. Nehemiah is more concerned with doing what God has told him to do than just mingling in this nonsense. Nehemiah is obedient. Nehemiah says there in verse 3, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. You know, when I read that, I got to thinking about that in my own life, and I got to thinking about that in the life of our church. And so I'll ask the question, in your life, are you doing a great work for God? You see, Nehemiah at this point his specific task was to rebuild the wall. To help bring Jerusalem back up to what it was. For all of us in this room that proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord, I've already established that our overarching call in our lives is to go and make disciples. Jesus makes that clear before he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28. That's our call. That's our overarching, all of us in Christ would agree, that is what God's called us to. So in light of that, Is the work that we do, even right now today, is it a great work? Is what you're doing, are you glorifying and being obedient to God based on the call that He has given you? 
I would dare say, as I've already mentioned earlier, that if we are doing that, if we are in full surrender before God and saying, Lord, you have my life, take it and do with it what you want. I am yours. And if we are waking up every single day and we truly are denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following God, if we are doing that, then the enemy will do everything in his power to sway us from following that. And here's the thing. It could be through events, but a lot of the time it's through people. We see here that these men are trying to do everything they can in their power to distract Nehemiah from the work. The enemy is using these men to try and sway Nehemiah. There are going to be times in our life as we're following God and we're being obedient to Him that people in our lives can even be used to take our focus off of God. And it's not intentional. Sometimes it may be. You see, have you ever been in a moment where God, you know, as I mentioned before, God has called you to specifically do this and people start to tell you, no, man, you're crazy. Don't do that. Have you thought about this? What about this? There are all these questions that start to come up. But you know in your heart that you have sought out God and you know that God has called you to specifically do this work. Whether it's sharing the gospel with a neighbor, whether it's sharing the gospel with a coworker, whether it's quitting this job and doing this job. I, I don't know what it may be for you. And there could be people in your life that you love, that care for you, but even at that moment they might think, man, that's a little crazy. You sure you want to do that? I don't know what the example is for you. But there could be those times in your life where the enemy throws in that little bit of doubt and tries to sway your focus off of what God's called you to do. We have to persevere through it. Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Now I mentioned to you that at this time, Sambalet is the governor of Samaria. So as the proper customs and the way that things should be done, it was right of Nehemiah to be writing back and forth in these letters. It was the right thing to do in that moment. So as these things are being said to him, he's writing back saying, nope. And send it to him again, nope, I'm doing a good work for God. No, I'm not doing this. So then we see here in verse 5, in the same way, Samblet for the fifth time sent to me, his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. This is very important. Samblet, I would believe, is probably getting frustrated with Nehemiah. Because he's, he's continually telling him, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. Let it be. And so Samblet says, all right, fine. So he sends a letter that's open. Here's the thing about it. It's public then. This is a specific tactic of Sambalet to come in and humiliate and manipulate Nehemiah. Because see, people can then see it and be a part of it and understand, wait a minute, now he's calling you to do this, why, why aren't you giving in to this? Why aren't you doing what he's asking you to do? Verse 6, it says it was written, in it it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Verse 7, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. This is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. These allegations that he's talking about there in verse 6, 
It's a reference back to Ezra chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Ezra chapter 4, 12 and 13, it says, Be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem, and they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing its foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. You have to remember that Ezra, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they're written right there at the same time. Ezra is almost the prequel, if you will, to Nehemiah being the sequel. Okay? And so this stuff that is being said here, it's all tying back in, back and forth between Ezra and Nehemiah. So this charge that Sambalet is putting out to the king back in Ezra, he's referencing it again here in verse 6. The reality of it is, it's a lie. The stuff that Sambalet is saying is a lie. Verse 7 tells us that Nehemiah, uh, it says, You have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together. Nehemiah was not telling people that he wanted to be the king. Nehemiah knew of the Messiah that was to come down the divinic line. He knew that that was coming. In fact, in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which will be called the Lord is our righteousness. This is the direct foreshadowing prophecy of Jesus that Jeremiah references here when he writes this. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah was not trying to go around and tell people, hey, I'm going to be the king, or try to sway people to think badly of the king. For goodness sakes, he spent time serving the king as the cupbearer, and the king allowed him to leave, gave him letters of passage to where when he encountered other people to get to Jerusalem, he would be okay. He's in no way doing this. These are all false allegations by Sambalet. Verse 8. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah writes back again. He says, You're crazy. That's a lie. That is fake. Those are false allegations. No. And Nehemiah knew that by Sambalit writing this in this open letter, the Jews that were there alongside Nehemiah that were doing the work with him, it was a ploy to try to get them, as it says there in verse 9, to drop what they're doing and not fulfill what God has already placed for them to do. And notice what Nehemiah says at the end of verse 9. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. We're seeing a continual theme happen chapter after chapter after chapter. These aren't on the screen. These are just references if you want to jot them down. Nehemiah 1, 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And even right now. Every time that Nehemiah is hit with these things, what does he do? He stops, he prays. Pastor Troy referenced several weeks ago uh, in one of the chapters that he was doing 
uh, from Nehemiah, he referenced the fact that in that moment, it was kind of like he just shot up a really quick flare prayer and said, thank you, God. In this moment, he says, oh, God, do this for me. Strengthen my hands. I know that the work you've called me to is important. I know that this must be done. Strengthen my hands to continue it. Last week, when Pastor Troy was doing the follow-up from the week prior, when it came to uh, talking about Jesus and the temptation, what does Jesus do? Every time the enemy shoots allegations, or excuse, excuse me, shoots temptations to Jesus, Jesus counters it with Scripture. Counters it with prayer. Nehemiah is every single time he's faced with something, he's continually praying to God. That should be huge for us. When we're faced with the things that the enemy throws at us and these oppositions, we shouldn't just write it off and say, oh, well, man, that's really hard. And I hope I can get through this. I'm going to do it in my own might. No. Pray to God and cry out to Him that He would help you through this. Secondly, persevere through false lies of the enemy. Every one of the enemy's lies are false. I know that. I know I kind of put a double negative there. But persevere through the false lies of the enemy. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temples. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. See, this man is confined to his home. He's believed to be a prophet or possibly has some relation maybe to being a priest because of the fact that he, it sounds like he has access to the temple. And he's telling Nehemiah, hey, these guys are coming to kill you. Let's go and do this. Once again, Nehemiah knows that there's something fishy going on. This warning from him, in a way, is a plot, again, for Sambalet and the other enemies to go against Nehemiah. Verse 11 makes it clear that this action would be a cowardly act. Nehemiah knows, no, God's called me to it. He'll see me through it, as the old saying goes. Nehemiah knows that God is in control of this. So I'm not going to give in and do a cowardly act. It would not bring glory to God. You know, I read that, and I think about the book of Acts with Paul. Acts 21, verses 10 through 14 says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since we would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Man, that is some faith. That is some faith. Paul knows, hey, I might die. And Paul doesn't give in to a cowardly act. Nehemiah knows, hey, you're saying they're going to come and kill me, and you want me to retreat? No. Let them come. 
I'm not going to give in to a cowardly act. I'm not going to do that. Verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalet had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in a way and sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. To be afraid would show a lack of faith, and thus would be sin against God. To do so would be an act of sin against God, because it would show that their faith was not in God, in what God had called them to do. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verse 28, says, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim here. Then I said to you, Do not be dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will give himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carries you. As a man carries his son all the way that you went until it came to the place. Yet in spite of his word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out on a place to pitch your tent in fire by night, in the cloud by day, to show you what way you should go. We see that in Deuteronomy. We see that example of those that are in faith, if they don't have faith in trusting God, They will be sinning against God. Nehemiah is saying the same thing. I will not do this. Nehemiah is urging the people and reminding the people to stand firm. If you recall from a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, Nehemiah says, and I looked, this is such a powerful verse, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah gives them the charge two chapters ago. Don't worry about this. God will fight for us. The same is true for you. If you profess Christ Jesus as Lord, when the enemy throws the opposition against you and he throws the temptations, the lies, all the things to keep your focus off of your eyes being transfixed on Jesus, when he does those things, stand firm, as Paul says in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Pray in all things and God will deliver you through it. He will be with you every single step of the way. Don't give in to it. Persevere, brothers and sisters. Verse 14 tells us, Remember Tobiah and Sambalet, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Nehemiah again says a prayer. And he's saying, God, please remember what they've been doing. They're sinning against you. And they're trying to make people take their focus off of you. There's something very important about that. Because there's something in the Scriptures that Jesus specifically says in regards to this. Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be, excuse me, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. 
there will be people even in our lives that the enemy uses to take our focus off of what God has called them to. There will be people in your life that you're going to encounter that are going to do like Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem are trying to do to Nehemiah to take the focus off of what God has called you to. Stand firm, be obedient, and remember who fights for you. Very quickly, just the last bit, 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. It took them only 52 days to build that wall. What's funny is we're preaching this sermon today right here at the end, the last day of September. Elul, on the calendar at that time, would be right around somewhere between the end of September and the beginning of October. I love how God does little things like that. It just kind of ties right in there with it. The nations and enemies of Nehemiah are scared, as it says in 16. All the enemies heard of it. All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You better believe it was helped by God. Because this is what God called Nehemiah to do, and God was there every step of the way for him. Moreover, in these days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoahana uh, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechai, as his wife. And they also spoke of his good deeds. People are saying good things about Tobiah, but Tobiah is one of these ones with Sambalet that's trying to take Nehemiah's focus off. And they spoke these good deeds of him. They reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Even there, at the end of chapter 6, we see Nehemiah say, Tobiah is still sending letters to try and make me afraid. Although this doesn't sound like encouragement, I see encouragement in this. Because it tells me that even then, the enemy is still trying to take Nehemiah's focus off of what God called him to do. But Nehemiah, again, sets the example to persevere in obedience to God for his glory. Man, you can go ahead and come forward. For those of us in the room who proclaim Christ, whatever God's calling you to, vocation, reaching out to a neighbor, someone that's lost, someone that needs Jesus that you know, whatever he's calling you to, are you being obedient? Are you persevering in obedience to God? Or are you kind of giving in to the lies of the enemy? I'm not asking that to bring guilt on you, to make you question things or anything like that. My encouragement to you is, if you're not being obedient, now's the perfect time to be obedient, whatever God's calling you to do. If that involves repentance, repent to God about it. Cry out to Him and say, Lord, I have not been obedient in this. But I pray, God, that you would use me. If you're here today and you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, today's the perfect day to know. See, all of this leads up. God God is doing this work in Nehemiah and all throughout the line of history, down that divinic line that I mentioned earlier, comes this little baby named Jesus. Born of the Virgin Mary, and was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This man would go and live a perfect life, sinless, 
because he was the son of God. God saw that our sins separated us from God and there needed to be something to come and make it right again. So God sent Jesus to be betrayed by one of his followers although he lived a sinless life. He was beaten, mocked, And then he was nailed to a cross where he hung there and took God's wrath that you and I deserve. Poured out on him until the moment he gave up his spirit. He, was die- he died. He was buried. But he rose. Three days later, just as the prophet said, he's ascended at the right hand of God and he's coming back as we sang. My prayer for you is if you know Christ Jesus as Lord and you're not being obedient, get that right. But if you don't know Christ and you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you feel the Spirit drawing near, whatever it may be, come and talk to me. I can set up time to talk with you afterwards. We can talk this morning. Whatever you want to do, come and talk to me. It's the greatest thing that I have in my life is Jesus. I have many great things. But I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm going to pray. The band's going to sing a song. I'll be up here if you want to pray or talk. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this passage today. Lord, I thank you for the obedience of Nehemiah and the example that he laid out for all people that would pick up your word. And see it. Lord, I thank you that your word is not just a book of stories, but it's truth. Every page, the inerrant, infallible word of God. Lord, now as we sing this song, Lord, I pray, God, if, if you're stirring in someone, Lord, drawing near, I pray, God, that you would make it known to them, or that you would save their soul. Lord, I pray that continually right now, the distractions would fade away that you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.